Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis from Elsevier, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the pandemic and beyond. Hi, I'm Shivaglani, and today I'm delighted to welcome two leaders in oral healthcare to Raise the Line. Laura Scarnulo is the CEO of the Dental Assisting National Board and the Dale Foundation, and Anna Petrella is CEO of the American Dental Hygienist Association. I first met Laura actually when she used to work at the American Board of Medical Specialties, the ABMS which is one of our close collaborators and has been for, for many, many years. And we share many connections, including people like Do- Dr. Lois Nora, who's a personal friend and mentor of mine. Today, I'm looking forward to hearing about their organizations, current trends in oral healthcare, and getting their insights on the state of the oral healthcare workforce. So Laura and Anne, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us today. Happy to be here. Thank you so much. Great to be here. So what we do for our audience is to, to set the stage is to first ask a general question about kind of how you got started in your careers and what got you interested in healthcare and then specifically oral healthcare. So maybe, Laura, can you start us off? Sure, I'm happy to do so. So I've been at DMB, the Dental Assisting National Board and the Dale Foundation now just over a year. I came here in August of 2021 after you mentioned I was at ABMS, the American Board of Medical Specialties, uh, for about eight and a half years both organizations serve as um, certification organizations for healthcare professionals. And really that has is something that my, my interest in healthcare and my interest in working with organizations that have a purpose stems back to probably 20 plus years ago. I started my career in public accounting and went into corporate. And then I ended up taking a different path and went into organizations that were really making impacts in communities. And I found that by connecting my work to an organization's mission and giving back to their communities or the patients that they serve is something that's really important to me uh, and where I can really thrive and, and do, do better work, I, I, I feel personally. And really over the last year or so, Dampy and the Dale Foundation, we've implemented many initiatives where we are affording the opportunity for people to increase act- access to care or as a professional, increased certifications and other educational opportunities for those professionals to continue to advance their own careers. Yeah, and absolutely. And that's something we've related uh, on for, for many years is the scale of the impact and, and being very mission driven with what you did at ABMS and now clearly what you do with Danby and Dale. So Anne, how about you? Can you can you give us a bit of your career highlights and, and what led you to to lead the American Dental Hygienist Association? Sure, sure. Um a lot of my uh, journey in oral health and healthcare in general started because I came from rural America, rural Illinois, where the caries rate, the dental cavities rate was very, very high. We had one dentist for the entire town and he happened to rent from my dad. So I was able to get that entry level position you know, as a high school kid and began the journey of um, learning oral health care. Um, the dentist's wife, ironically, her name was Anne, and she became my very first mentor. I thought what she did as a dental hygienist was so cool. She was the lifeblood of the, of the entire practice, and I just loved her. So I learned and learned and learned um, from her as much as I could. So when I was just 17 years old, Um, I had graduated from high school early, 
So I decided to apply to dental hygiene school. So I did. I applied early and I got into Northwestern University and I said goodbye to rural America and came into downtown Chicago. So the the student membership in the American Dental Hygienists Association was something that our faculty always stressed how important that was for us. So I had no idea what that meant. I was a 17 year old kid, but I knew how important the organization was. And so my professional ethics required me to support it. Little did I know, like 30 years later, I would return to run the organization as CEO. So it was, it was a great opportunity while I was there um, in my first two years at Northwestern, they didn't have a baccalaureate option. But in my very final year, before I became a hygienist, they started a baccalaureate program. And they asked me and four of my classmates to come into the program kind of as guinea pigs. And they tried every single thing they could through a lot of different opportunities at us and asked for our feedback all along the way. So I became very much a lifelong learner, which is really important to me, even in the role that I play at ADHA today. So I practiced for a while. I taught dental hygiene for a while. I did some corporate work for a while. So I had a varied career, which I'm going to talk a little bit about, Shiv, uh, throughout our podcast today, about how important the variety is in your career. As Laura's already talked about what her variety was, I obtained my master's degree in dental hygiene from the University of Missouri, Kansas City, just a few years ago. And I was also a guinea pig in that program. So I did all of that online when online was first becoming the popular norm. So I got very involved in online education and found that it works. So on the ADHA side, I became president of the association in 1996, 1997. And then after that stint, um, I was asked to join the staff as a manager of dental hygiene education just a few years later and then became um, the CEO about, believe it or not, 20 years ago. Wow, that's incredible. I love how your story began with a very personal kind of interaction with dental hygienist, also yeah. named, um, who kind of worked out of your father's rented yes. office uh, to now leading this large organization. Um, my personal story in connection to the dental field, as Laura really well knows from all my times visiting Chicago, is my sister and brother-in-law, uh, Dr. Anushka Gulani and Abhishek Nagaraj are dentists who have half a dozen dental practices in the Chicago area. So I've gotten to know many of their staff, including dental hygienists and dental assistants over the years. Um, now, for our audience, uh, many of whom started off as you know medical students and nursing students, but increasingly we're reaching dental schools and dental students and dental hygienists and dental assistants. Can you give them a kind of a sense of the organization, membership, and missions, as well as the kind of the growth rates of uh, maybe let's start with you, Anne, and go into the growth rates of the dental hygienist career and then transition over to Laura to talk about dental assisting? Yeah, the, um, the profession of dental hygiene pretty much grew exponentially over the years until COVID hit. And when COVID hit, we saw a great number of hygienists, about 8% of the population, um, left, literally left the profession. 
That might have been the cohort of people who were pretty close to retirement anyway and had made the decision that this was time to go. There was, there was a lot of concern about availability of PPE, just as there would be for dental assistance. And so we saw this growth in dental hygiene occur, but then COVID hit and everything declined. We're back now to about a 4.9% of the profession still, you know, hasn't returned, but we hope that that continues as more and more hygienists and assistants feel confident of the safety of their dental practice because many of them are moms and dads and they're worried about taking things home to their kids or to um, their parents who they may be, you know, having in their homes as well. So there's about 15,000 members of ADHAs right now, and that includes uh, student members. So our mission really speaks to them. You know, it's, it's supporting the career paths of dental hygienists, no matter what career, career path they might choose. But we've gone, you know, through so many changes that it's really important, particularly with governmental agencies, Shiv, that dental hygiene speak with one voice. So ADHA is that voice to say this is where the profession stands on a number of issues, especially um, healthcare issues today, which are, which are numerous. So we work to help our state associations pass legislation that allows dental hygienists to practice to the top of their scope of practice, not at the bottom, but at the top, just like dental assistants. Let these educated healthcare professionals do what they're educated, certified, and trained to do. So that's a big role of ADHAs is to help our state association advocate for the top of the practice scope of practice. That, that's really helpful. Um, and I, definitely before we even started the podcast, we talked about the theme of scope of practice, which is not just occurring in dentistry, but also in, in medicine yep. and nursing and many other fields. Um, and so let's transition over to Laura. Can you talk a bit about, you know, both Danby and, and the Dale Foundation and kind of the mission and any salient points uh, that you'd like our audience to know about them? Yeah, absolutely. So um, one of the de defining differences is that we are not a membership organization. So we are the certifying body and we are a national certifying body for dental assistance. Um, and we also administer exams for dental assistance that may become certified or are using these exams to become certified or might be using our exams to meet state requirements or to just um, maybe get some portability in, in areas where they want to maybe go into various different areas within their career or across the country. One thing I think is important to point out and building upon what Anne said, you know, the last several years have been such a, it has had such an impact on um, the profession as a whole. Dental assistants as well have been leaving the profession, some retiring. Um, there are, you know, there are about 380,000 dental assistants practicing, um, or at least there were prior to, prior to the pandemic. We had about 37,000 of those certified, and there's reasons for why there's not as many certified as there are dental assistants. And the main reason is that one, it's not required. Two, 
is that so many state the states have so many different um, dental practice acts and there's nothing uniform about it unlike medicine where you have state licensure and then you have certification in the world that i came from shiv before um this was an eye-opener for me it, it was like well of course you would get certified because that's your the highest standard of quality and we have a lot of work to do in that regard but it is recognized as such a uh, portable national professional credential for dental assistants that we and, and and there's a lot of um interest and i think momentum to move in that direction however we did have people leave the profession because when they come into the profession the compensation is not necessarily where uh, you would expect it to be for individuals that are highly qualified, highly educated, coming through these um, coming through these training programs for it to be. And work is being done um, on that as well. Many of our dental assistants go on to become hygienists. Many of our dental assistants go on and become uh, start looking at going into dental school. So it it can be an entryway into the dental profession for many people who don't have it in their family or are aware or have it on their on their radar that they want to come into into dentistry. I think the area through and and to build upon what Anne was saying too through COVID. One area where we did see growth was in our learners. So our Dale Foundation offers educational um, offerings for not only dental assistants, but oral health care professionals as a whole. And the educational offerings went grew exponentially through COVID. And this could have been, we, we're still digging into the reasons why for this, but what we're seeing is that because our educational opportunities are either um, training materials, exam preparation materials, um, continuing ed, or we have some new certifications that we launched. So are people expanding their knowledge base? Are they going in and learning more to advance, to make shifts? We don't quite know yet, but we saw such a, such growth and people had time. You know, as Anne said, you know, when it, the the lifelong learner in so many people and what's required in, in, in a uh, healthcare, oral healthcare profession, it's hard to find time for that. So we also recognize that during COVID, when some of these practices were not open, that people did take advantage of that opportunity to, to grow and, and, and to learn. I do want to just take a minute, though. So about the, the organization and the, and the mission. But really, what is what does a dental assistant do? And you know, I think there's a I I didn't have a lot of knowledge of the of the understanding of what the dental assistant does in the practice and the integral part that they and the member they are of the oral health care team. So it's a very dynamic role uh, with a lot of variety. They they're responsible for patient communication, greeting, and um, seating the patients, tending to their needs during an appointment. But here's a really important piece of it: the communication of the post care instructions for everything that comes after the appointment. It, it, it is shown that when you have a dental assistant that is part of that team, that the patients who have a dental assistant explain those um, post-care procedures for them, they actually adhere to those um, instructions. I don't know if it's because it's it's more relaxed, it's not the dentist talking to them, but they, they can relate 
to the, the dental assistant, and I think that they feel more comfortable. Also, they sterilize the room, the instruments for treatments. They take dental radiographs, and then they assist the, the dentist with many procedures. Quite frankly, some of the discussions we're having with many of the organizations are, are doing some studies on efficiencies to see how much more efficient dental practices are that have dental assistance and to Anne's point that are practicing at the scope at the top of their um their their practice and their abilities and their competencies because some now not just now but they they along the way they can perform some expanded functions whether it be restorative or preventive care but that that's an additional um, education and training, but really having them as part of the team and valuing them as part of the team is, is such a great opportunity for individuals to be in the profession, be in oral health care. And quite frankly, what many of them are saying is that there, we've done some surveys recently and some we have some data that will be coming out in the in the fall, but many find it to be a rewarding and um, fulfilling profession, and it it meets their lifestyle needs. So some of these professions that you go into in oral healthcare or any, and not, not just oral healthcare, in any healthcare, you might not have as much, I don't want to say you have control over your schedule, but it's not necessarily late nights, every weekends, working on Sunday. There's the opportunity to make some sort of flexible schedule as well. So uh, great opportunities within it. And, you know, we're working with a variety of stakeholders within the oral healthcare community to see what we can do to make sure that we can get even more dental assistance prepared and ready to be um, in the workforce. I love that. I mean, thank, uh, there are certain key topics you mentioned there that I'd love to love to pull on. Um, one of which is this career laddering um, that's evident in the in the dental profession, oral healthcare profession. Certainly, the nursing profession has a lot of this, where there's clear pathways for people to go from associate's degrees to bachelor's degrees, all the way through doctors of nurse practitioner degrees. And we see that you know you meet in DNP who often started out as an associate's degree. So it's really good to hear that that sort of career laddering occurs with dental assistants, dental hygienists, and dentists. We talked about scope of practice a bit, or you both mentioned that. I'd love to hear, you know, obviously our audience primarily is familiar with medical and nursing, increasingly so with dental. You know, in the PA profession, as an example, there's surgical PAs and there's further kind of segmentation of that field itself. Laura, you sort of alluded to this a bit, but I'm curious if either of you can comment on sort of the stratification of the various careers in oral, oral healthcare and more of that kind of scope of practice so people can operate, we can basically make sure the right skill set is matched to the right part of the patient journey. As you mentioned, Laura, the fact that dental assistants are, are being trained and being uh, assessed on their ability to communicate to the patients, to provide post-discharge instructions, that's essential because the average time a, a dentist is able to spend with a patient has been decreasing over the years, same with physicians, et cetera. So can either of you comment a bit about kind of the you know, stratification of more careers in oral health care, as well as any career laddering considerations? Yeah, I, li I like to um, use a different symbol than a ladder because a ladder says, oh, I'm at the top or you're at the bottom. I like to think career options as a web. So people can go laterally, they can they can go on, they can make all all different kinds of choices today that never have been there before. 
especially when we see Shiv, this medical dental integration occurring more and more frequently. So when you think about um, why on earth does it seem like in our healthcare system, the mouth, no pun intended, was extracted from the rest of the body? When we know, in fact, that most diseases have some type of sign or symptom first in the mouth. So if you're a dentist, a dental assistant, a dental hygienist, you've got to know like this complete integration with medical. If you're going to be a healthcare provider who is practicing at the scope top of their scope now. So the diversification, at least in hygiene, and I think it's going to happen in assisting as well. One of the options is dental therapy. Dental therapy is, is been described as akin to a nurse practitioner kind of in between that dental hygienist and a dentist where the scope is different. The scope allows some of the more um, dental procedures that aren't as expansive as the other end of the services that dentists provide. So we've seen that um, first take place in um, many states like Vermont, um, first happened in Minnesota. We're seeing other states uh, pass legislation that's called direct access. So what that means is a state would allow a dental hygienist to provide services directly to the public. And sometimes they do have a designation that would signal to lawmakers and regulatory agencies that a hygienist has received this additional education in order to be a direct access provider. My master's degree was on a group of hygienists in Oregon called Limited Access Providers or LAPs. So I chose to study them to get the information into the scientific literature about what they do and what kind of services they provide. So that diversification that happened in medicine many years ago is now happening in the dental space. You're seeing more hygienists be employed in hospitals, in pediatricians' offices, in long-term care facilities. So that that is a trend that's not going to stop. It's just going to continue to grow. I was just going to build upon that. And Ann and I talked about this a bit when we were together in July about the opportunity to improve the access to care. Right by getting hygienists and dental assistants into the community. And I think the ADA has a great uh, example of this. So um, the American Dental Association has a community health coordinator program that they've done. And really what this is, is that they are often hygienists or dental assistants, and they are trained to help people access dental services and care. They bridge from, they build bridges, excuse me, from the community to dental clinics by removing the barriers to, to care, such as transportation, health literacy, language. Dental assistants can serve as case managers in these types of situations. And we know that case managers are a highly effective um, model in medicine and, and with these care homes, they're integrating both dental and medical care. Um, and, and often in these situations that these individuals work in the same communities that in which they live. So there's, they're seen as that link and that they're linking to their, their communities to these opportunities together. 
Um, I spent years at United Way before I even came to the to ABMS. And United Way in Metro Chicago has a health initiative. They have three pillars uh, of their impact areas. It's financial, education, and health. And they go into communities with other organizations and build wraparound services to increase not only the access to care, but the education about preventative care and getting that getting that to them. I, I think there's an, an example of a program that we work with um, talking about how building in the the various members of the dental team is so integral to making sure that that's a high performing team. And that's through Temple's post-baccalaureate program. So they have a post-bac program for students that are looking to get into dental school. And they actually require those post-bac students to take or become NELDA certified. And that's one of our certification. It's the National Entry Level Dental Assisting Certification. And what that is, it's education and training for somebody to come into the field at the entry level. And their, their future dental students, dentistry students, are serving, they earn that certification, but then they actually serve as dental assistants in their dental school and their dental schools at, is clinic in, in at Temple providing to the community. So for me, it is just this wonderful culmination of getting the dental students familiar with using dental assistance um, because from my understanding, and I'm not an expert in this, but forehanded dentistry, meaning the dentist and the dental assistant education, that has not been practiced of late. So this program actually uh, uh, provides for that to happen. The dental assistants or the future dental students are working in the clinic and then giving back to the community, improving access to, to care. For me, it's, it's, it's a win-win all the way around. But really the integration of medical and oral health care it, it's becoming much, much closer. We're, we're talking with various organizations about how we can increase the um, the access to information and education and what transcends all of it that we need to know together uh, to improve uh, the, the profession and, and, and ensure that people are qualified uh, to work and, and I like what a lot what Ann said about this being a web, because when you broaden your, your perspectives and broaden your knowledge base, that provides you so many more opportunities to, to take your career in different directions that you might not even thought possible. Correct. Yeah, all those are really great points, especially the, the, the social determinants of health and, and dental assistants as case managers, dental hygienists, uh, as well, how... You know, we can also get these students who may be on in programs like dentistry programs also training up as dental assistants. I know in the in, uh, in the medical context, we have a lot of partners who the first um, thing that students have to do is become a scribe, or they have to become right. a, a EMS or EMT, which gives them a lot of empathy and lets them work in the care coordination uh, much better. And I love the fact that the the link between oral health care and general health care. Is so strong. We've had guests like Sachin Jain, uh, who is the CEO of Caremore and now the CEO of Scan Health Plans, who did a lot around how do we bring uh, preventative uh, medical care, you know, hypertension screening, diabetes screening to the dental right. office. And certainly dental assistants and dental hygienists are integral parts of, of that. Um, 
I'm also aware of your guys' time. So just a couple more questions here. Uh, the first is we talk a lot about the shortages we have, especially post-COVID with, with moral injury and burnout um, of physicians and of nurses. Um, there's other camps that talk about not, not so much a shortage, but more a, a distribution problem of where these people are located. And you mentioned you come from rural Illinois. So certainly a lot of rural and home health care uh, trends going on right now, uh, virtual care uh, as well. Can you talk to us a bit about dental assisting, dental hygienists, and maybe dentistry too? And what, you know, are there shortages or is it a distribution problem? You know, do we need tens of thousands, thousands, or hundreds of thousands more people to be trained? Uh, any any commentary on that would be great. Yeah, I'll I'll jump in on this one because I will tell you that yeah, I we had a meeting with uh, members of ADA councils last week, and the the pre- prevailing sentiment is we need dental assistance, and we needed them yesterday. Um, dental assistants, they are in high demand. Uh, and for the reasons we've stated earlier, uh, the profession is going through, I would say, um, a shift. And uh, as, as people look at dental assisting, possibly as a entry way into the profession and moving into other directions, the, the traditional dental assistant role I think is becoming um, that there's more openings for a variety of reasons, but we certainly know that there is um, a shortage and the reasons for all of that shortage. um, And it had, there has been for years. I think it it, it ebbs and flows, but I can tell you what we're doing to work on it. And one of the things I mentioned that we have the certification for entry level, we're, we're building a curriculum and framework to train dental assistants starting in high school. And we are going to be starting awareness in middle schools for dental assisting. And we are piloting this framework in two different states in North Dakota, as well as in Michigan. North Dakota happened because of need and Michigan happened because of capacity. Um, And so we're learning from those opportunities and then we will be bringing that to scale um, in early 2023, and we're very excited about that. We also think that that framework could be utilized by dental practices, and they can they can take pieces that they want to train their dental assistants that come into their offices and provide for quality quality care. We also brought together um, stakeholders in early July, and Anne was part of that. Thank you again, Anne, for your participation and engagement. Happy to be there. We had about 20 organizations um, talking about the future of oral health care, and in particular, we were very interested in the uh, the future workforce of dental assisting. And we identified some initiatives, and one of them was to form a workforce coalition with uh, organizations uh, throughout the room and others that weren't able to be there and really put efforts in forward to come up with tangible solutions, uh, increase uh, accessibility to the programs, look at our requirements and how do we modernize them and to reach dental assistants across the country and make sure that we have the right representation from all groups, rural, diverse group, um, all all segments of the population that are being served and that are in the profession. That's awesome. Thanks, thanks for sharing all that. And it's great to hear that there's so much coordination behind the scenes between all these different different levels, groups. And it's very complicated. Obviously, I knew this from ABMS with all the you know 32 member boards and the state federations, medical boards. 
there's no reason that it wouldn't be as complicated or more complicated in the in oral healthcare sphere. You mentioned curriculum, and I know Anne, you've, yeah. you've taught. You, you were a dental hygienist. You taught dental hygienists. Uh, you've gone through several layers of education. You know, Osmosis is a teaching company at its heart. I'm curious if you could snap your fingers and teach any uh, stakeholder, whether it's the general public, middle schoolers who may be interested in careers in dental hygiene or dental assisting, whatever stakeholders you have in mind. What would you teach them and why? Like if Osmosis could develop a video or a course, what, what would it be on? Yeah, I think the um, health literacy, the oral health literacy, how important your oral health is to your overall health is something that even though I'm surprised to hear it every single day, the general consumer is relatively not too knowledgeable and what that, what that link really is. So um, a couple of years ago, we did a um, collaborative project around getting consumers to understand, particularly in children in low-income families, that brushing twice a day with a fluoridated toothpaste was an important factor for their children's oral health. The number of caretakers, parents or grandparents or whomever, that had no idea that if you just help your child develop the habit of brushing, brushing twice a day with a fluoridated toothbrush could save them years of dental pain and dental care needing to be done. And the, the caretaker really didn't know, just didn't know. So we're continually reminded to go back, Shiv, to a basic message. Often we in the dental space, Laura would know, I'll take full responsibility too. We complicate the message so much. We go to like a college level education when you're really talking about oral health care, it needs to be like at a fourth or fifth grade level in order for people to understand what does, what does oral health even look like? How do I know? that I'm healthy from an oral health perspective. What about oral cancer? You know, we don't talk a lot about oral cancer. You know, when we see kids vaping now and all of the, all the risky behaviors that kids can have that they don't really know, well, what's, what's my impact to my overall health? So there's so many topic areas that I think we can share with consumers that really would kind of open their eyes about why is it, why is my oral health even important? Why should I pay attention to it? Those are really, really great points, Anne. And certainly, you know, the, the same thing happens um, in, especially now post COVID or with COVID health misinformation. I'm sure there's plenty of oral health misinformation out there, whether it's intended or not, just confusion around it. So going back to the yep. basics and making sure people have health literacy is key. Laura, go ahead. Sorry. I'm curious what your answer to this question is. Yeah, and I, I have an answer for it, but Ian, I will tell you, you are not responsible for it. I think it's prevalent in, in every healthcare profession uh, organization I, I am affiliated with. I, I think, Shiv, if I, if you, you know, thank you for asking the question. Coming to the professionals who come to you for education, one of the things that I'm seeing is that we could really benefit from education or courses on how to deal with patients of varying abilities. Um, and you know, I, I saw a poster at a recent um, ADEA conference about the special needs patient. And, you know, 
there are there are so many, and that's the special needs patient. There's so many other abilities that are varying where we look at, if you go into a dental office and you, you look at the chair and you look at the way the room's set up and, you know, just there's anxiety, there's mental health issues, there's anxiety issues, there's physical disabilities, there's, you know, cognitive disabilities. I think it would be wonderful to, and you can't, one video isn't going to take care of at all, but kind of that, that not only the empathy, but that deeper understanding, kind of stepping back and recognizing that treating patients with varying abilities takes a certain level of finesse and training and skills that I think people would benefit from. Yeah, and, and the point Laura is making about mental health, Shiv, is so important. We just did a series of studies with the ADA Health Policy Institute and mental health of dental professionals was one of the topics that we covered. And the high rate of anxiety and depression that really impacted them and their decisions to stay or how they're going to earn a living was a top priority and leaving their income behind. But I don't think anybody ever realized you know, you saw a lot of it on the news about the health care professionals who were frontline workers and what their mental health status was. People didn't think about, hmm, wonder what, what the dental professionals' anxiety and depression rates are. And they were pretty high. So people who, you know, were trying to battle their anxiety and depression were also part of the community that left because it was just too much. Yeah, no, absolutely. That those are really good points, and especially the the mental health care, the burnout, the the stat you shared yeah. Anne, at the beginning of, you know, eight percent of dental hygienists yeah. left the workforce, and unfortunately, yeah. many of them have come back. I know from my own sister and brother in law about staffing as well as you know, uh, you know, if you say you're uh, a psychiatrist or OGYN, certainly you're still on the front lines providing patient care, especially if it's not virtual or telehealth, um, and putting yourself at risk for contracting COVID pre-vaccinations, right? Uh, or even now with vaccinations, breakthrough cases. But if you're in the dental profession, you know, the only way you can provide care is if your patient isn't wearing a mask, if you're actually in their mouth and if you're actually inspecting their teeth and gums uh, and tongue, et cetera. And so yeah. that's even even riskier. Um, so clearly, yeah. clearly um, uh, there were issues there that, that need to be addressed. Yeah. Um, and I think the, I think the dental practices today that have a few metrics instilled in them will not have workforce shortages. So if you are running a dental practice or in a dental practice where communication is your top core value, you're gonna do well. We learned through a lot of our studies how poor the communication was in dental practices. If you are really making sure that the appropriate PPE is available, you know, in your practice, you probably aren't going to have a shortage. If you are up on your knowledge about what is a good compensation wage for dental assistants and dental hygienists, and you pay them well, and you express appreciation for them, you are not going to have a workforce shortage. It is so simple. It's scary. <laughs> Respect them, pay them well, have good communication, keep all of that moving forward. You're not going to have a problem. But offices that don't, we heard 
crazy stories of dental hygienists who said, no, we haven't had any communication from our employer. None. Wow. Yeah, none. But then we heard the other side too, where we, they had team meetings, the hygienists met, the dental assistants met, they developed office protocols that were based on the CDC recommendations, and they were a team. That team stayed together. But if any one of those parts is missing, the teams tended to fracture. I would just add one piece to that team. I completely agree with everything that Ann just said. And I would say investing in their education. Yes. And and this, this is not self-serving, even though it probably sounds that way. But when you have organizations that are investing in people learning and growing and continue in their professional development, that means something to them. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, ultimately, everyone who works in a dental practice or healthcare system, they're a provider, they're an employee, they're uh, potentially a patient, and they're a person. So treating them uh, with all those hats is important. So um, I know I've, I've already taken you 20 minutes over what I promised before, but but the, the a key question we like to ask, and the last question I'll ask both of you for your answers on that our audience really benefits from is what advice would you give to them about meeting their uh, careers and approaching their careers in oral healthcare or healthcare in general? Yeah, I think I, I would say, well, first of all, I would consider oral healthcare because there's so many opportunities and pathways and rewarding careers, jobs, um, environments in which to work. But most of all, I would say be your own advocate, um, seek out opportunities to learn and grow expand your knowledge. And, and by doing so, it not only allows you to advance your career, but it can deepen your level of engagement and satisfaction in your work. Having a breadth of knowledge also makes you more well-rounded, in my opinion. And, and that can be, that's really powerful for a healthcare professional, which benefits not only you, but then the patients that you serve too. And on with everything that Laura said, which I agreed with, um, find that mentor. Yeah. Find that person that you can lean on for advice. I had them throughout my entire career and diversify your experience as much as possible. We talk a lot here about get comfortable with being uncomfortable. You're not going to grow if you're comfortable all the time. So throw yourself into those experiences that you might not, might not have ever thought you would thrive in. But that is the only way we grow is to get a little bit outside of ourselves and try something new. All that is excellent advice. And actually, uh, coincidentally, and just today, I was listening to a podcast um, uh, with our CEO, Kumsel Bayezid, who'll be on this podcast in a couple of weeks. Uh, she's the CEO of Elsevier, as you may know. Um, mm -hmm. And she said the exact same thing. Uh, one of her first mentors at Bain, a consulting firm out when she was in LA, uh, she told her, told that person that she was uh, feeling very overwhelmed by the work. And that, that person gave her some lasting advice that she repeated on the podcast, which is uh, be grateful for that discomfort because it means you're growing. Uh, it means you're learning right. and growing. Um, and so, you know, finding mentors, um, you know, understanding that careers are long. Um, I mean, both your careers have wounded yep. and now you're, you have this immense scale of impact that uh, it's led to this. I know, Anne, you started off as a dental hygienist. Uh, yeah. And Laura, you started off in accounting, and now you both lead organizations <laughs> that reach tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people. 
uh, in aggregate. So I'd like to thank you both for taking more time than was allotted to join me on the podcast and more importantly for the work that you both do to raise the line and strengthen our healthcare system. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Shiv. It's been our pleasure. And with that, I'm Shiv Uglani. Thank you again to our audience for checking out today's show. And remember to do your part to raise line and strengthen our collective healthcare system. We're all in this together. Take care. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our episodes at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast. Thank you.